0: So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but is now revealed through the, the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality immorality to To light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in my many ways he has helped me in Ephesus.
1: So we're in the middle of a series on 2 Timothy. Uh, Last week we looked at the first seven verses. This week we're looking at the next few. It's a great book of the Bible because it's about a guy, Paul, who's writing to a good mate of his, Timothy, who's really struggling at the time. And he wants to really encourage him in his walk with Jesus and uh, to stand up there for him. So it's a good one, isn't it? It's a good book for all of us to think about. It's a good book for us to read through and contemplate. It's a really passionate book because Paul loves Timothy. Uh, Amazingly, he's like a son to him, it's like his own blood And he desperately desires for Paul to really grow and stand firm So as you read through it, take some time just to look at some of the words that he uses Because they're really passionate, loving words that he has for Timothy And you gain a sense of his feeling as you read through it So we're going to look at uh, this next part of it this morning So as we come to do that, let's pray Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word We thank you Lord that as we look at it this morning that you'll open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us. we Lord, we pray that we won't be just people who hear your word, but we'll be people who are impacted and transformed by it. We pray, Lord, this morning as we look at this passage in 2 Timothy, uh, that, Lord, we will see what you desire for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know whether you're aware of this, but before I was a mad keen Broncos supporter, I was a mad keen Hawthorne supporter. Uh, if truth be known, I'm actually more of a Mag keen Hawthorne supporter than what I am of a mad keen Bronco supporter. If truth really be known, I love AFL more than league and rugby too, but uh, just that's underneath there. But uh, as a Mag keen Hawthorne supporter, I've uh, had some great years. Last year was a great year and there were many years before that that were great too. And because I've had some great years with Hawthorne, I've done some things that really show how much I love them. Uh, back in 1979, I went to the grand final with Hawthorne versus North Melbourne with my father and uh, my uncle. And my father and my uncle are North Melbourne supporters, so they bought tickets in the North Melbourne stand. So I was the only Hawthorne supporter in this whole North Melbourne stand. I had my orange and brown, they had their blue and white on. Now, it was really good because Hawthorne won. So I told everyone in the stand about that. I told them as I walked down the stairs. I told them as I was on the train. I told them in the hotel. I told my dad as I was going home in the plane. I told my parents when I got home. I told everyone that Hawthorne won. I was confident about it, so I told them. Well, in 1987, Hawthorne played Geelong. And at that point in time, I drove a Renault 12, a brown Renault 12, if you know what they look like. Probably not a great pick-up chick car, but it did the job for me anyway. That was a brown Renault 12 and Hawthorne were playing Geelong in a grand final. So I decided, well, I'm going to wrap my car in orange, uh, stuff so that it looked like a team. And then on the back I had, uh, front I had one of my favourite players' team's number. On that back I had another favourite team player's number. And in my stereo, which was about the only good thing in the whole car, was the Hawthorne theme song taped over and over again. Well, Hawthorne won in 1987. And I think I drove for a week with my Hawthorne theme song and my stream is still on, blaring out to everyone to let them know that Hawthorne won. I was confident about it, so I told them all about it. Well, in 2008, it was another great year for a Hawthorne supporter because they beat Geelong again. I think Geelong's got a problem with Hawthorne, really, don't you? I think I need to let people know that. And I did let someone know about that. I don't know whether you know, but Rod Blake, the vet in town, used to play for Geelong. He's very tall. Uh, he's very big. So we only make these sort of comments that I do when you're driving away from him. Uh, he was on the field the other day playing footy with his son Brendan, kicking at uh, the school there. And as I was going past, I saw him I thought, this is great. So I wound down my window, I was on the way to the shop, and I just yelled out the Hawthorne theme song as I drove past him. All the way past. I could see them going, all these sorts of things. Like well, they were still there as I came back from the shop too. So I wound down the window and I started yelling, out Hawthorne rules forever, all the way along. Much to my wonderful enjoyment and to their great disgust. It's amazing what you'll do, won't you, when you've got confidence in the message that you have. Look, I could, I'd could i walk into a bar with a Hawthorne shirt on in the middle of North Melbourne or Geelong or any time if I knew that they won. I can do just about anything when I'm confident about those things. It's amazing what we'll do, won't we, when we're confident in the message that we have, when we're confident in the person or the product that's around us. People go on TV, people get dressed up in colours, they paint themselves, they give all their money, they make as much noise as they can when they have confidence in something they believe in. What do you have confidence in that you'd make a loud noise about? What do you have confidence in that you would drive around in a Renault 12 with it on the speakers, blaring out? What confidence would you have to drive around in a Renault 12, I suppose, is the first one, really? Really? But what confidence do you have? What, what do you have your confidence in? What confidence do you have in Jesus? Or are you a little bit ashamed about what you believe or about letting people know what you believe? Is it hard for you to let people know what you do on Sunday morning or where you go on Tuesday night? Is it hard for you to say that I don't want to watch that porno clip on the bloke's phone because you don't think it really honoured Jesus is it hard for you to tell people why you're so excited about life why you have a purpose in life why you're really driven in your life do you feel just a little bit ashamed of Jesus as your king what well, can I say if you do you're not alone lots of us do and lots of us do at different times I do at different times There's times when I step back from telling people what I actually do for a job. There's times when I'm not too sure what I should say. And it's pretty sure that Timothy, in this book 2 Timothy, felt ashamed of Jesus at times as well. And Paul knows this. this There's one of the great things about the Bible is it's just not this airy, fairy, mystical book out there but it's such a practical book that just nails you where you're at. And speaks to you in the situations that you're in. And Paul speaks to Timothy here in 2 Timothy. And he wants to give him a G up. He wants to give him a motivational talk. He wants him to get out there and put Jesus on his stereo at a full bore. So look at what he says to him in verse eight. Have you got your Bibles, make sure you've got them open because we'll quickly look through it together. Look what he says to him. So do not be ashamed to testify. Paul says to Timmy. That is, don't be ashamed to talk about, don't be ashamed to preach about, don't be ashamed to teach about, don't be ashamed to talk to your next door neighbour about our Lord. I sometimes think that we think that we're the only ones who find it tough to tell people about Jesus. That we're the only ones who feel that our faith is a dud. That we're the only ones that feel that we're failing as a Christian. But if you look here in this passage, you have probably one of the most powerful, earliest preachers of the gospel who impacted the world, who's under the pump, who's feeling all that. Timothy is feeling like that. Timothy is feeling like he's just unsure where he's at. Can he keep going at this? And Paul comes beside him. In his very last letter that Paul writes before he dies, he comes beside Timothy and says, Come on, mate. Hang in there. You don't need to be timid, mate. He says back in verses 3 to 8, if you go back there, this is what we looked last week. He says, mate, you've got a solid faith. Hang on to it. You've got solid friends around you who will encourage you. You have a faithful family who wants you to love the Lord. God has gifted you. God has given you your spirit. He's given you all the resources at your side. Hang tough, mate, don't shrink back. You can speak about Jesus. You don't need to be ashamed of him or me. Look, Timothy, I might be in jail, all my mates might have deserted me, but that doesn't mean that I've lost. No, I still have confidence in Jesus that he'll hold me and pull me through. So Paul is saying to Timothy, come on, mate, hang in there. Paul is saying to you and I, when you feel like that, hang in there. God is there for you. And in verses 9 to 12, he outlines why we can hang in there. He outlines why Timothy doesn't need to be ashamed. He outlines that Timothy, rather than be ashamed, you can have confidence, mate. You can do it. Because he tells him, knowing the truth and experience the truth engenders confidence, doesn't it? Knowing what you thought was true, is true, gives you a huge boost. Knowing that our salvation is sure in Jesus, that he's conquered death, that now we can live for eternity, gives us a huge boost. And that's what Paul says to Timothy in verses 9 to 12. It's a beautiful passage. And he says it to Timothy, and he says it to you and me here this morning. Look at what he says in verse 9. God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. This is a beautiful statement. It's worth almost spending a whole sermon just on these few words, really. You see, he says there that God has saved us and called us to a holy life. God has saved us. And Paul unpacks that in the rest of verses 9 and 10. Look what he says there. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Firstly, we don't save ourselves, but God does. He's the one that does it for us. Now, just the other day, a, a friend of ours uh, got caught in a rip. Uh, he got washed off his feet and he got taken out. Uh, there was part of him that also got ripped on, ripped on him and he was taken out behind the surf. We just happened to be at this beach. We weren't supposed to be there. We were supposed to be at Chinamans, but surf was no good there. So we came across to uh, Shark Bay and we were there. And I noticed the guy. I knew him. He looked like he was all right. But suddenly he was out the back and he was floating on his back. And I thought, that's a bit unusual. That's a bit strange. Well, the next minute I saw a person who was with him came across with a boogie board and then Alexander came across and together they got him into the breakers and by that point in time I knew that he was in trouble. So a few of us went in, got him, put him on top of a surfboard and lifted him off the beach and and placed him in safety. It was a pretty scary situation, not only for us but for the guy who was in that situation. But the amazing thing was that by himself he would have been dead he had no hope of being able to get himself out of that rip and into safety he was stuck there but because people were there they were able to get him and pull him in and that's what we're like in life by and of ourselves we can't save ourselves we're drowning we're in a rip of sin the things that we do wrong we just can't get out of it because we just keep doing things wrong We try to swim against it and sometimes we get a little bit of pace but you know when you swim against a rip you feel like you're going somewhere but actually you're going out. The same with us in life. We keep doing stuff that's wrong and the sad thing about it is when we keep doing things wrong our end is death just like it would have been for that guy if someone hadn't been there. But God reaches in and grabs us and takes us out of that rip in Jesus He deals with it. He takes away the whole consequences of death. He destroys it. He gets rid of the rip. He destroys sin and says, if you're in my hand, then you are safe. God saves us. He pulls us out and makes us his own. How thankful should we be for that? I know the guy who we pulled out was very thankful. His life was in our hands, literally. Our life is in God's hands and he saved us. He wants us to praise him and thank him for it. Paul wants Timothy to reflect on this, that by himself he couldn't do it. But he wants to reflect and know the confidence that God has saved him and he saved him in Jesus. Jesus is the one that does it. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus destroys that rip. He destroys sin and he destroys death. And he rescues us. You see, realising that should make us thankful. Realising that should make us want to live for him. And realising the truth that there are other people stuck in that rip should motivate us to have confidence to testify about Jesus. You see, I would suggest that if we know that people are in that rip and we have the lifesaver, and we don't give it to them or present it to them, then we've been pretty selfish, aren't we? They might not realise that they're in the rip, but they need a lifesaver. And Jesus is it. Paul is saying to Timothy, have confidence, mate. God has saved you by his grace in Jesus. There's nothing, it's got nothing to do with how talented you are or how beautiful you are or how ugly you are or how much money you have or how good you think you are. It's not up to you at all. It's all about God. Even from before time he says, he had you lined up. so mate, if you want to have confidence in anything, have confidence in God. He is where it's at. That should give you the confidence to get out there. He saved you, he's had you lined up before eternity. He's got your, his hand on you. He's had his sights on you before time, even began. And not only that, but Jesus has been brought life and immortality to light, he says. You notice that too? It's life and immortality. It's not just heaven. It's not just pie in the sky when you die, though that's great. But it's here and now too. He gives you life now and eternity as well. That's a brilliant option, isn't it? That's what he does for us. And life now means a life that is a holy life. He's, he saved us. And he's called us to live a holy life, he says, which is to live a life now that loves God with everything that we have and everything that we are and loves each other as much as we possibly can. You see, that's our purpose of our life here. We have to love God with everything that we are and love everyone else as much as we can. That's the life of Jesus. That's what he did. That's how he lived. He loved God perfectly. He did everything that God wanted him to do. Everything Jesus did, he did to please his Father. All he did was in obedience to him. Our purpose is exactly the same, is to live holy lives. In whatever sphere of life you you live, your work, your family, your school, your community, every sphere you're in, is to live a life that loves God with everything that you have and loves everyone as much as you can. Often I've heard uh, people say this to me and uh, sometimes I've heard my children say this and sometimes I've used it myself. Uh, When I do something and I know that it's not quite right, I say, yeah, but everyone else does it, don't they? Yeah, no, everyone else, you know, they can do that. Everyone else does it. That's fine to go and burn those CDs, isn't it? Everyone else does it. But I reckon that's a cop-out answer, isn't it, really? It's not the question. It's not, it shouldn't even enter our mind, does everyone else do it? It shouldn't even come anywhere near to our brain space. The question that comes, should come to our brain space is this, is what would Jesus have me do in that situation? If I'm offered to smoke a joint, what would Jesus have me do? If I have the opportunity to fudge my tax return, what would Jesus have me do? If I'm really peeved off with my teacher... What would Jesus have me do? People around me are gossiping about a person we all know. What would Jesus have me do? I have the opportunity for a job, but it will stop me from getting into growth group. And Sundays, what would Jesus have me do? You can put just about any scenario in there, couldn't you? And it's not about me being legalistic with you and telling you how to answer that, because you've got to answer that you've got to say, well, what would Jesus have me do here? Not what does everyone else do, but what would Jesus have me do? And I guarantee you, if everyone here in this room and everyone who comes to this church started to do that, we would start to look like people who lived holy lives. Now, I'm not saying we don't already, but I'm saying we'd look even more like that, wouldn't we? If We started asking that question first before we did anything. And don't get me wrong, it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. Uh, living to please Jesus is not an easy thing to do. Actually, more than likely, you're going to suffer a bit with, by doing that. And that's what 2 Timothy, we're going to find out a little bit more about that later. But in the midst of that, we will have joy. In the midst of that, we will have confidence. Because we have the Spirit, we have God's gifting, we have family, we have faith, we have friends, we have Jesus. We don't need an extra set of steak knives or a free holiday. We just need Jesus. God gives us all we need to live now and for eternity. And Paul says to Timothy that that should take away your tibberness. That should take away your shame. That should give you all the confidence you need, mate. For you here this morning who haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, can I encourage you to do it today? He will hold you. He will pull you out of the rip. He will set you on solid ground. He will enable you to live life now and he will take you through life and into immortality. He will. He has for me. He has for millions of other people as well. Let him rescue you today. Put out your hand and surrender to him today. For you here this morning who have experienced Jesus taking you out of that rip, Feel the confidence that this gives you. The confidence to speak about Jesus. He is who he says he is. He does what he says he does. He isn't a fraud. He is people's only hope. Be confident, guys. Don't be ashamed. And finally, guard that truth about Jesus. Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says this, What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I don't know about you, but one of the things I noted throughout the President's race with Barack Obama was the amount of protection that he had, the amount of people that were around him guarding him. There was always a posse of secret servicemen uh, with their little things in their ears and their dark glasses. Uh, whenever he was in a car, there were the black SUVs going behind him. Do you know that in those black SUVs, the one directly behind Barack Obama uh, had a driver, but in behind that, the roof would open up if need be, a guy would pop out of the top with his uh, automatic machine gun and he'd be able to take out everything and anything that came after him. Do you know that? That was the one directly behind him at every place that he went to. Do you know also that his car that he drove him was not only bulletproof but bombproof? Do you know also that when he gave uh, his speech, his acceptance speech in Chicago, that before he gave that speech they set up this big stage, I don't know whether you remember seeing it, they set up this big stage and the days before they actually got guys to stand on there and then they set up snipers throughout the buildings around the place and then they got them to shine their their laser guided guns on the guy standing where Barack Obama would be and then when Barack Obama came out they set up these 10 by 15 foot bulletproof glass on either side of him so they couldn't shoot him. They had that all around him. And when he was at the inauguration, did you see that too? Uh, I think everyone had a heart attack when he got out of the car and started walking. I think that just about blew everyone's mind. But then when he was standing and he was uh, freezing to death, waving to everyone, go past it, the hour and a half or whatever it was, but there was bulletproof and bombproof glass in front of him and people everywhere. It was a phenomenal effort to protect him, wasn't it? Amazing to guard this one guy who's I think is going to be pretty amazing in history. We pray that he will be. But he's not the saviour of the world. He doesn't actually have the message that's going to save everybody. He's one bloke. They went into all this effort to guard him and make sure he was kept safe. In a sense, Timothy is saying that we need to put this type of protection around the good news of Jesus. That we need to make sure that nothing detracts from it, that nothing gets in and diverts it from us, that nothing gets in and weakens it, that nothing gets in and tries to take it away from us. Because there are lots of people out there who are claiming to be Christians, but are watering down the message of the gospel. They're not even speaking about Jesus most of the time. They're definitely not speaking about how Jesus conquered death and gives us life and immortality and deals with our sin. So he's saying to Timothy, there's guys back in your day that are trying to drag people off into mysticism and Gnosticism and all this sort of airy-fairy stuff. Bring them back to Jesus, he's saying. Guard it with your life. Hold on to it he's saying to us, we need to be careful because there's going to be people who are going to have pot shots at Jesus. There are people who are going to try and destroy him. There are people who are going to try and remove him from the scene. Well, let me encourage you with five things I think that will make a difference for us as we think about how we can guard the gospel of truth. The first thing we need to do is know our Bibles well. If we want to guard what Jesus is on about, who he is, what he is, we need to know our Bibles well there are people out there who walk our streets throughout this town who probably know their Bibles better than us and they've got it wrong they've got a fuzzy interpretation and uh, fuzzy uh, um, translation of the Bible and they've got some things different to us but they know it well but they're fuzzy on Jesus they've lost that Jesus is the only way to God he's just an example for us We need to know our Bibles well because there's people out there who are going to spend time knowing it and if we don't know, we're going to find that maybe we don't have the confidence we did have. We've got to know our Bibles well. We need to be careful who we listen to. There are lots of people out there who want our ear. We need to be careful who we listen to. Not everyone on Christian radio is worth listening to. Not everyone on Christian TV is worth listening to. Not every book that's out there is worth reading. Again, I'm not into telling you which ones you need to and don't do, but we need to be careful. If they're watering down the Gospel of Jesus, don't watch it. If they're watering down the Gospel of Jesus, don't read it. If they're taking you in another other direction, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, don't read it. If they're trying to take you off in different tangents, don't read it, don't watch it. We need to be careful. And the other thing from a denominational position, and it's something that you may not have thought of, but you've got to watch what our Bible colleges are teaching. If you look at any movement that happens in any denomination, it starts at the Bible college where the people who are going to be your ministers and your leaders train because when they come out, they teach what they've been taught. Now, you might say, well, how do we do that? That's a good question. (laughs) It's not easy to do that. But as a little congregation, we can make sure that when I go down to the places which makes decisions about who's going to be principal or who decides who are going to be the lecturers, that you want to get in my ear and say, Paul, I want you to be in that meeting I want you to be voting about that. Or the, our elder who goes down when they go down occasionally, you want to get in their ear and say, mate, I want you there this year because I want you voting about that. It's vitally important to the direction of our denomination who leads our colleges. So let me encourage you that. And the last one I want to say is, fearfully, that we have the Holy Spirit that helps us to guard that. That's what Paul says, doesn't he? He says we need to trust in the Spirit. We need to be open and ready for the Spirit to work in us. We need to be listening to what He has to say to us and know that the Spirit will only back up what the, the Scriptures say and the Scriptures will back up what the Spirit says. And if they conflict, then it's not the Spirit you're listening to. We've got to listen to the Scriptures. Because the Spirit will only back up what the Scriptures say. We need to be listening to that. It's tough, isn't it, sometimes? To be in a conversation and give a Christian perspective. It's tough sometimes to be chatting with a mate and he asks, what have you been doing on Tuesday nights? It's tough sometimes when you're out with friends and you stop drinking to say, because I don't think that would honour Jesus if I got drunk. It's tough sometimes to tell people that the only thing that got you through that illness was Jesus. It's easy sometimes to be ashamed of Jesus, isn't it? But can I encourage you, you don't need to be. I don't need to be. We can have confidence that Jesus does save, that he gives us life now and eternally that he transforms us, that he has given us faith, that he has given us friends, that he has given us his family, he has given us gifts, he has given us his spirit, he has destroyed death and brings life and immortality to life and enables us by his spirit to live holy, godly lives. That's something that is worth having confidence in and to tell others about. It's something worth putting on your stereo and blasting out through your whole life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it, uh, I don't know whether we give excuses or whether we just take the easy option, Lord. And maybe you look at us and think, uh, why didn't you stand up there? How come you're doing that? You, you must look at us, Lord, and just go, you just shake your head and scratch and think, what on earth are they doing? But, Heavenly Father, we know that you don't scratch your head and discard us, but you scratch your head and you empower us. Lord, you have given us Jesus and we can know the truth that he saves us. You've given us your spirit that gives us the power and love and self-discipline and the opportunity and the ability to live lives that please you. Lord, you don't leave us just to struggle and wade around in the water, unsure of what we're doing, Lord, but you give us everything that we need to live for you. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for that, Lord. We pray that by your spirit you will engender confidence in our lives, that you'll engender confidence within us, Lord, to be people who aren't ashamed to testify about Jesus, but people who are, are proud to get out there, to live for you, and to speak about you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.